0: Alrighty, so this morning's uh this morning's message or this morning's topic um is entitled There we go, The Show Foundation Building with Christ. A Sure Foundation Building with Christ. If you live in a house, if you live in an apartment, I hope you're listening. If you live in a house, if you live in an apartment, if you live in a simplex or a duplex, if you live in, live in a building, freestanding or not freestanding, uh, any, any, any of the following structures. Can you please just raise your hand? Okay, awesome, fantastic. You know what all of them have in common? Every single one of them has a foundation. So it doesn't matter whether it's a, a skyscraper whether it's a simplex or a duplex, whether it's a freestanding house, every single one of them have this one factor in common. They all have, and they all need to have, a foundation. Amen. So, I thought about this and I asked myself, you know what, Can is it possible? Um, is it possible for you to build your house on the ocean, like in the sea? Is, is that possible? Is it something that's possible? Um, I don't know, maybe you'll think about it afterwards, a bit later on, but as far as I could figure, I, I, I had to say no. That's, it's not possible, right? So there aren't houses floating in the middle of the ocean. Maybe after a tsunami, but generally, normally, normally there aren't any houses built in the ocean. And I asked myself, are you able to build your house on sinking, sinking sand or quicksand? People call it different things. Some call it sinking sand, some call it quicksand. You know what I'm talking about. We've seen it in the cartoons. We've seen it in the movies. Are you able to build your house on quicksand? Well, maybe possibly, but I think um, you pretty much guaranteed a disaster, right? The minute you start laying those bricks, it's not going to be long at all before whatever you're trying to build goes under. Okay? Can you build your house at the beachfront? At the beachfront. So not in the ocean, not in the sea, but just at the beachfront. Now, I lived in Cape Town for a couple of years or a few years, um, and I can I can I can attest to the fact that yes, definitely, uh, Sea Point, Green Point, uh, Clifton, Camps Bay, there's quite a few houses, and some actually literally on the beachfront, right? So there are, it, it is possible. It's definitely possible, but, uh, but what you need to take in mind if you if 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 that's how you roll and that's what you're thinking of doing, just remember that you'll probably have to reinforce your foundation. Right. So the closer and closer you get to the ocean, the closer and closer you get to sea sand itself, you're probably going to need to have a reinforced foundation. But yes, it is possible. Can you build your house on an area that is known to have sinkholes? Sinkholes. You know what a sinkhole is, right? If you live anywhere near Centurion, you know what a sinkhole is. At the moment, if you go to Herat and Jean Avenue, as far as I know, it's still there. As far as I know, it's gonna cost the council about 25 million rand to repay. And as far as I know, the businesses that are in and around there, go for it Justin. I think it is there. Uh, they, 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 they're busy working there. So as far as I know, it's still there. And as far as I know, um, it's still causing a huge, huge problem. So, so, so can you build there? Yes, obviously you can. Definitely, people obviously build there. Um, but it's really a risky business, right? it could potentially cost you quite a bit. So if you decide to build, it seems quite important for me that you know and that we know what foundation are we building on? Because we, we don't want to end up there, right? We don't want to invest time, money, resources, all of that effort, all of that drive, all of that commitment to end up realizing that actually we built this fantastic structure, whatever it might be, but we've built it either on quicksand, sinking sand, or on a sinkhole. Because it would have all been for naught. So it's quite important what foundation you and I decide to build on. Consider the following two statements for a moment. Without a solid foundation, the rest of the house falls apart. Statement number one. Without a solid foundation, the rest of the house falls apart statement number two no building that ever stood the test of time ever did so on an unsure or shaky foundation no building that has ever stood the test of time ever did so on an unsure or a shaky foundation amen Matthew chapter 16 reading from verse 13 we go all the way to verse 18, but for now, let's just look at 13 and 14. Now, when Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples a question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Verse 14. And they answered, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or just one of the prophets. So, Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks them the specific question. Now, Jesus is Jesus at the end of the day. When he asks the question, he already knows what the answer is. So, I must ask myself, why then did he ask the question? It's obvious that he then wanted to actually put the question out there so that the response is also coming out. So, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am, he already knew the answer. He wanted to have those responses spoken out loud amongst the other people, the people out there. He wanted those responses to be spoken out, to be said, to be pronounced, to be spoken. So that the disciples themselves could hear what the answers were. There should be a difference of opinion between how the people out there, those people out there, How they view and see Jesus and how we, Go Christian Church, born again believers, washed in the blood of Jesus, sanctified and redeemed, how we, who have an intimate relationship with him, how we see Jesus. You see, being a disciple of Jesus back then, when he actually walked the face of the earth as a man, meant that these disciples were as close to Jesus as anyone could possibly be. So Jesus puts the question out there. Who do the other people say that I am? And then in verse 15, he turns it around and he says, He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So he's now switched it up. He's turned it around. He's asking the question directly to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter boldly replies, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the son of the living God. Hallelujah, Jesus. My question to you this morning, I'm switching it up. I'm turning it around. I'm asking you the question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Please ask yourself this question. Maybe even later on today when you get home, who do I? Make it personal. Make it personal to yourself. Who do I say that Jesus is? The amazing thing is we serve a multifaceted God and your answers will inevitably differ from one person to the next. I, I absolutely expect that. But at the very same time, as much as our answers will probably different, probably be different in quite a few areas, if I ask the question long enough and hard enough, there should also be hopefully quite a few similarities. And if you've given your life to Jesus and you're born again, then one similarity, at the very least, the one similarity that should keep coming up over and over again, no matter whose answers we look at, should be that he is our savior. Are you with me this morning? He is our savior. Is he your redeemer? Is he your healer? Is he your provider? Absolutely. Is he your banner? Absolutely. Is he your warrior? Does he fight and does he war on your behalf? Absolutely. But every single one of us in this room who said, Jesus, I surrender all. I give my life to you. Every single one of us should be able to say, he is my savior. Verse 17. Then Jesus answers him. Blessed, happy, spiritually secure, favored by God are you. Simon, son of Jonah. Because flesh and blood, or mortal man, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. This is Jesus speaking. On this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell or Hades or death will not overpower it or prevent it or prevent the resurrection of the Christ. These are the words of Jesus. You see, there is a blessing. When I look at the scripture, there's a blessing that's attached to having a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. There is a blessing that is attached to you having a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is your savior. Peter has a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, that Jesus was the promised deliverer and savior that had been prophesied about. And Jesus says to Peter, on this rock, on this revelation that you have, Peter, of who I am, promised deliverer, savior and Messiah, on this revelation, I will build my church. You see, the rock here is is representative of two things. It represents both Jesus himself. So Jesus is speaking about himself in the third person. He says, on this rock, in other words, on me, on this rock, on Jesus himself, as well as the revelation that Peter has just had, that Jesus is the foundation. This rock symbolizes both of these things, both Jesus himself as well as the revelation. You see, Jesus is the foundation or the Petra, as well as the chief cornerstone of the church. And we, we are the living stones being built up into a spiritual house. I'm going to say it again. Jesus is the foundation. He is the foundation. He's also the chief cornerstone of the church. And we, you and I, who believe and have received him as our Lord and Savior, we are the living stones being built up into a spiritual house, a spiritual apartment, a spiritual building, a spiritual skyscraper. Amen. God can only build his church when two things happen. When Jesus is the rock and the sure foundation, which he is, so he's already fulfilled his requirement. That's number one. The second thing, God can only build his church when we, when you and I have a revelation that Jesus is the rock and the sure foundation. Then the building can commence. Someone say amen. So again, I pose the question to you. Who do you say Jesus is? Make it personal. Is Is he only your healer divine? There's nothing wrong with him being your healer. He wants to be your healer. He is your healer. I need him to be my healer now. I've got a, I've got something going on in my throat and I refuse it, whatever it is. I refuse sickness in Jesus name because I know that he is my healer. But that's not all that he is. That's not the only thing that he is to me. Of course he's my provider. I work uh, a nine-to-five, whatever you want to call it, but I know who my source is. My source and my provider is Jesus, but that's not all that he is. If that's the only thing that he is, then I might as well call him Jehovah ATM because that's the only thing, that's the only way that I see him. He's not just my ATM. He's much, much more than that. He's a multi-faceted God, but, and hear me, please hear me, please hear me. You cannot enjoy all of who Jesus is without first knowing him as your sure foundation, your savior, and your deliverer. You can't. It's impossible. Jesus Christ is the deliverer and savior, and we are the living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Let's look at that scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 6. You believers, that's us. Like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy and dedicated priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a chosen stone. Now we go to Jesus. A chosen stone. A precious, precious, honored cornerstone. That's Jesus. Hallelujah. And he who believes in him. So those living stones, those who want to become living stones, those who want to become of those who are being built up into the spiritual house, those who end up believing in this chosen stone, this precious cornerstone, will never be disappointed. Hallelujah, Jesus. You will never be disappointed. He will always meet you, not only at the point of your need, Not only will he meet you at the point of your need, but he'll even go a step further and give you the desires of your heart. The things your heart desires, you don't always need, but this is how much he's there for you. No matter what your expectations are, you will not be disappointed. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We need to have a revelation of who God is in our lives. Because it's on this divine revelation, on this sure foundation called Jesus, that the church is being built brick by brick, living stone by living stone. Living stone by living stone. Who is Jesus to you? Revelation of who Jesus is led each and every one of us to repentance and led us all to accept him as our personal savior. And in truth, that was the beginning of this construction project. In truth, that was the beginning of this construction project. The day that we accepted Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior was the day we broke ground, so to speak. You'll forgive me, I'm going to use some construction terminology. The day you and I accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior was the day the the equipment arrived on site and that was the day we broke ground. That was the day the construction project in your life and in my life actually began. Although there are many living stones that form part of this house, there can only be one foundation. Write that down. Amen. Although there are many living stones, many, many living stones, myself, Jimmy, Pastor Vim, Sipho at the back, There are many living stones that that form part of the spiritual house. But there's only one foundation. And his name is Jesus. Pastor Tracy, when she was ministering, um, ministered about how how there's only one gospel. And how we can't accept a watered down, compromised version of the gospel. A, A version that's maybe acceptable to our colleagues. No, 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 no then it's not the gospel. There's only one gospel. Amen? In the same way, there can only be one foundation. And that foundation is without spot and without blemish. And his name is Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Whether you read that in Greek or Hebrew or Italian, there's only one foundation. It's already been laid, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. My foundation is Jesus. Not Jesus and my job. My foundation is Jesus. Not Jesus and my bestie. Not Jesus and the strength of the rand against the US dollar. Not Jesus and the prevailing worldview on any specific topic. Not Jesus and the fuel price that's, by the way, said to go up next month. No, 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 no. That's not my foundation. My sure foundation is Jesus. So we're in a construction project project. I love construction for one very, very um, simple reason. Ever since um, I left my own practice behind, I've been involved in construction in some form or the other. Either looking at the contracts or whatever it might be, but interacting with all sorts of, all sorts of stakeholders and role players in the construction industry. So I love, con- I love construction. It's very intricate, it's very it's very detailed. Every single thing you do matters, it has a knock-on effect. You learn things about like a critical path. There's a critical path. We have to break that break ground by a specific date. That's milestone number one. It's part of our critical path. If we don't have these approvals before date X, we'll fall behind and our schedule will fall behind. It's everything is everything is about the critical path. Everything must be done sequentially. We can't move equipment in before the building's been approved. Hallelujah, Jesus. We can't have equipment people coming in and installing all sorts of wires and cabling when there's no roof on the building. Amen. So I love construction. So the question I have to ask myself is if we're involved in this construction project, who is doing the building? Who is doing the building? Firstly, we as the church of Jesus Christ are building each other up and also building with each other. So we're building each other up, but we're also building alongside and together with each other. 1 Thessalonians, we look at it in the NIV as well as in the Amplified. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. This is you and I. This is the, this is the message to you and I as children of, as children of God. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Just as in fact you are currently doing. In the Amplified. Therefore encourage and comfort one another. And build up one another. Just as you are doing. So as you and I are here this morning. We're not just here because it's Sunday morning. And we need to come to church. And we're not just here sitting here in a crowd of people. Yet actually we, we feel all alone. If that's you I pray this morning that you'd stay behind. You'd come talk to me. You'd come socialize with me. You'd you'd mingle with someone. You'd interact with someone because according to scripture, I need you and you need me. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. If you feel like you're an island all by yourself, who's building you up? Who's pouring into your life and into whose life are you pouring? Who's praying for you and bearing you up in prayer and vice versa? We need each other. Amen. As born again believers, you and I have a responsibility to build each other up. I cannot say that I am building with you, but I'm not interested in building you up along the way. I can't say that we're in it together. We're building. We, 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 we're part of this building project. We're building together, but I've actually got no interest in building you up as well as I'm building. Building his church is not simply a numbers game. If I'm only interested in building the church numerically but not building you up as a brother or sister in Christ, then at the heart of it and at the heart of the matter, I probably don't understand that in fact you and I are the church. It's actually a contradiction for me to say I'm building up the church, the church, but I'm not interested in Misa. I can't say that I'm building up the church, but I have no interest in where Numisa is at spiritually. Because Numisa is part of the church. She is the church. So if I'm building the church, I've got to be interested in her. Does that make sense? Amen. First Corinthians 14 verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, when an interpretation, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. In the Amplified, what then is the right course, believers? When you meet together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a disclosure of special knowledge, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let everything be constructive and edifying and done for the good of all the church. Not for the good of some, the ch- some of the church. Not for the good of some of the people. Not for the good of one or two. Let, let all of this be done for the good of all of the church. Amen. We're not in the business of leaving people behind. We're not in the, in the business of, of having some do the work and some not do the work. In the higher dimension that God is taking us as a local assembly, it's going to be all hands on deck. All hands to the plow. Each one will have something to contribute to the edifying and building up of his church. Keeping the chairs warm will be the exception and not the rule. Someone say, Amen. By the way, Amen means I agree. You agree with what I'm saying, right? It's too late. It's too late. No take backs. Hallelujah. Keeping the chairs warm will be the exception. It won't be the rule. Amen. Oh, less amens now. Hallelujah. It's fine. Hallelujah. Secondly, God is building his church. We're asking the question, who's building? So we've realized that you and I are building each other up. So we're in the building process, right? Secondly, God himself is building his church, and we are building with God. So we're building each other up. We're building his church, but we're also building with him because he's also in the building process. Psalm 127 and verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, that's us, labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be laboring in vain. When I labor, I want my labor, I want the works of my hands to be successful. I want it to be prosperous. I want it to be fruitful. Unless the Lord is building with me, I could be sincere, but I could be sincerely wrong. I could be building out of the sincerity of my heart but building in the wrong direction because God is building this way and I'm saying, I'm going to double up Jesus. I'm going to meet you there. I'm just taking and then under the esplanade, I'll catch you over the bridge, but I'm just. I could be laboring in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. In other words, we've got to build with God. There's no other way. We have to build with him. In our opening passage of scripture, we read how Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is building his church. And in the same way that we are co-heirs with Jesus, hallelujah, we all know that. We all know that we are co-heirs with Jesus, co-heirs to the throne In the very same manner, we are also co-workers and co-laborers with God in building his kingdom. In order for your building project to be successful and prosperous and fruitful, and in order for it not to be in vain, you must have the Lord building with you. He's the one who brings about the prosperity and the success. When we work with God, all our works are confirmed, successful, and established. I'll say it again. When we work with God, all our works are confirmed, successful, and established. Let's go to his word. Psalm 90, reading from verse 17. And let the gracious favor of the Lord our God be on us. Confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. From the NIV. May the favor of the, of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes. Establish the work of our hands. One more. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord. Submit and trust, and trust them to him. And your plans will succeed if you respond to his will and his guidance. You know what this tells me? This tells me that just like on any other construction project, just like on any other construction project, there's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of things, but there's only one person in charge. There's only one foreman on site saying, This must go here. That wall needs to be seven meters high. The piping comes here. You with that ladder, stop that. Where's your helmet? Get off site. Get your safety gear. Come back here when you're ready. You, you late. Don't come back. Come on, guys. That's how it goes, right? That's how it goes. You, you know, you don't have your PPE. Please move off my site. You're gonna give me, make me, uh, cause me to get a fine. You, yes, you are. You are not an electrician. Why are you busy with wiring? Go, go to the brick section. That's what happens, right? There's one guy in charge. The scripture says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will succeed if you respond to his will and his guidance. So I've constantly got to be checking. Boss, foreman, are we on track? Is this what you want me to do now? Is this okay? Can I dig now? Can I hit the pipe now? Can I hit this cable now? Red, blue, bl- bl- blue or green? Which one do I cut? Right? Come on guys, you've seen this, right? The bomb's about to go off. Which one do I cut, boss? Red, blue, or green? Is this thing earth? I don't know. I'm not the electrician. Why are you even touching it in the first place? Move away. We have to respond to his will and his guidance. We can't be doing our own thing. There's too many of us. Amen. Imagine if each and every one of us is doing it our own way. Hmm. What chaos and confusion there would be. And unfortunately, sad to say, in the, I don't want to even say the church. Because man, those people are on some other trip. But there are some people doing things their own way. Nowhere, nowhere does God tell me that I must eat cobras and grass and I don't know what and whatever else. But there's people who've decided we're going to do this our own way. And so they're building their own way. They're not submitting themselves to God's will and God's guidance. Why does God make us successful? And why does he confirm and establish the works of our hands? The answer is very, very simple because we are his. We are his. We belong to him. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. His servants working together. You are God's cultivated field. Hallelujah. His garden, his vineyard, God's building. That's a beautiful thing to pray over yourself. Amen. I am God's fellow worker. I am his servant working together with his other servants. I am God's cultivated field. I am his garden. I am his vineyard. I am God's building. That's who we are this morning. And because we are his, look at that scripture. I am God's fellow worker, God's cultivated field, God's building. We belong to him. That's the reason why he longs to make the work of our hands successful. Because we are his. The scripture says, For it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives inside of me. It's no longer me that's living. I know you think you're looking at Stuart Bishop. I don't blame you. I look just like him. But actually Stuart Bishop died in grade 6. Grade 8, sorry. Sorry, back then it was Standard 6. I'm still, I'm still thinking the way. You know what I mean? So when I was there, it was called Standard 6. St- Stuart Bishop died in Standard 6, a.k.a. Grade 8. And he became born again. And the person you're seeing standing in front of you now, you know who that person is? Sorry, let me go back. That person is God's fellow worker. That person is God's cultivated field. His garden, his vineyard, and his building. That's who you're looking at now. Amen. Say to your neighbor, I am his. I belong to Jesus. I am his co-worker. I am his cultivated field. I am his garden, hallelujah. I am his vineyard, hallelujah. I am his building. Bless the name of Jesus. When Christ is your sure foundation... You know that your life is not your own anymore. It belongs to him. Your life is not your own anymore. You don't own your life. Your life belongs to Jesus. I was trying to remember who used to sing that song. Such a such a silly song. It's my life. It's my life. It's my life. Stop bugging me. You remember that song? You remember that song? Lost 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 completely lost and delusional it's not your life it doesn't belong to you your life belongs to Jesus amen hallelujah so there's a process taking place you and I are being transformed second corinthians 3 and verse 18 and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed Into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. From the Amplified, and we all with uh, with unveiled face continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Romans 12 and verse 2 from the amplified, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with the superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. We are being transformed. The word transformed there comes from the Greek word meaning metamorphosis. It's a permanent change. We are being being shaped and molded and changed in a permanent way. Hallelujah. We're building towards a complete metamorphosis and a permanent change. A temporary change will not do. A temporary change simply won't do. In order for Jesus to be my sure foundation, I need to have made and done and executed a 180 degree turn. I was going in the direction of the video camera but when I met Jesus along the way, I did a 180 and I'm now heading towards the drum kit. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. Possibly even, most likely, the people I used to hang out with, I don't hang out with them anymore. Because bad company corrupts good character. I'm not looking for a temporary change. I've done a complete 180. A complete turnaround. And progressively I'm being changed. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Hear me. Hear me this morning. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. But I am maturing spiritually every single day a little bit more. From glory to glory with ever increasing glory. The primary purpose of any builder, of any construction team, is to create change. By building a skyscraper, you transform the landscape from what it was to what you've envisioned it to be. So the landscape looked a certain way. I'm sure you guys have seen that advert about Sancton City. It used to run a while ago. I don't know if it still does run. But it actually shows uh, by means of still, still, still pictures. How Santon City has been transformed from basically there was nothing and it was an open field and then you see the scaffolding go up. You see all of the transformation brick by brick, tile by tile, until it's complete. The primary purpose of a builder is to create change. You change the landscape. We are here to change the landscape of Heifelt. You and I are here to Change the landscape of Centurion. You and I are being built together in the spiritual house that God is building, that we're building with him. And the purpose is to create permanent change in our own lives and to change the landscape around us. People must know and see that something different, something's happening. That building never used to be there before. What's it doing there now? People must notice us. They must hear us. They must see us. They must feel us. Amen. Because we are a work in progress and not the finished product yet, we don't always feel like the skyscraper that God is busy building up. Because we are a work in progress and we're not yet there, we're not yet finished, We're not, we're not perfect, not by any stretch of the imagination. So because we're not yet there, we don't always feel like the skyscraper that God sees us at, sees us as and that is building us into. We don't always look the part. But it's important not to allow the enemy to cause us to feel shame and condemnation when we don't quite measure up. The scripture says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hear me and hear me plainly and very clearly without excusing sin because that's not what we're here to do. Without excusing sin, it is also important for you and I to know That we are all works in progress. We are works in progress. Justin, are you with me? Let's go to the next one. So, I don't know how clearly you can see it, but that right there is Soccer City. While it was still a work in progress. While it was still a work in progress. To be quite honest with you, it looks like that construction company needs to get fired. We need to go back out on tender and we need to get someone new. If I was the one signing off the check from what? The Department of Public Works, I guess? I'm not too sure. But if I was the one signing off the check and they're like, Mr. Bishop, please come have a look at where we are right now. I'd be like, guys, thank you so much. Please put your tractors in single file. All workers on this side, let's please just everybody just leave the site. If you've ever been on a construction site while the work is in progress, it doesn't look anything like the finished product. It doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like. It doesn't look like something that as, as someone investing time and effort, blood, sweat and tears into it, it doesn't look like you're actually getting anywhere. There's often times that it actually looks like we're actually going backwards instead of forwards. Why? It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. In progress. Next one, Justin. So that's what it's looked like. That's what it looks like now. That's what it looks like when the job is done. But you know what's the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful part of this? This is how God sees you now. So even though you currently are a work in progress, even though you imperfect right now. Even though you trip and you fall and you slip up every now and then, even though you currently are a work in progress, even though the way you see yourself right now is an unfinished, imperfect thing. You 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 can't even bring yourself to call yourself something that's worth, worthy or valuable. That's the way you see yourself right now. But you know how God sees you? He sees you as complete. He sees the end product. He's got the end game in mind. He sees what you can be. He sees what you will be. He sees what you will achieve one day. Amen. That's how he sees you. And I might say it's about high time that we see ourselves that way as well. Amen. Don't allow the enemy to condemn you. I love Steve Harvey. One of my favorite guys. You guys have probably heard me say this before. He's got a he's got a, stand-up comedy, um, a stand-up comedy show. A show that he does. Where he says, don't trip, American, don't trip because God is not finished with me yet. He's not done with me yet. I'm saying to you this morning, don't allow the enemy to cause you to feel that way. To feel shame, to feel condemnation. God is not finished with you yet. You are a work in progress. Amen. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. I am sure. I'm confident and I'm convinced of this, that he who began a good work in me, in me, in me, he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident. I'm convinced. I don't need anyone to tell me, to, 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 to prop me up, to, 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 to motivate me or to convince me. I'm already there. I am sure confident and convinced. That Jesus Christ, who began a good work inside of me, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Amen. The very nature of our sure foundation, who is Jesus, is that he can be relied upon. He can be relied upon. We can trust confidently in him. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. From the Amplified Bible. Truth Sorry, trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insights or understanding. Sometimes it's even our own thoughts, our own insights, our own limited understanding that causes us to doubt this work that's underway. Our trust in him produces blessing and fruitfulness even in times of drought. This is, for, this is for the Cape, Cape Town people. Even in times of drought, God's work produces blessing. Our trust in him produces blessing and fruitfulness. Jeremiah chapter 17, reading from verse 7 and verse 8. Blessed with spiritual security is the man who believes and trusts in and relies on the Lord. And whose hope and confident expectation is the Lord you are blessed this morning. If you fit into this category, if you are a man or a woman of God who believes and trusts in and relies on the Lord, you are blessed. And whose hope and confident expectation is the Lord. Verse 8. For he will be nourished like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear the heat when it comes. You know the thing about that scripture is basically this is God telling you the heat will come. The heat will come. The heat will come. The scripture says in this life you will have trouble. Not maybe possibly or you might just avoid it. You will have trouble. The heat will come. But you don't have to fear it. I don't have to fear the heat. I know it's coming. I know it'll be there, but I know that it's coming to pass. I know that it's coming for a season, but it won't stay there permanently. God's work goes on. The heat will come and it will pass. And so I don't need to fear. And that's why I have this confident expectation. But its leaves will be green and moist. Speaking of fruitfulness, speaking of life. And it will not be anxious and concerned in a year of drought. It doesn't matter what spiritually the devil is whispering in your ear and telling you, hey, D-Day is around the corner. Hey, your time is almost up. Hey, we're going through a drought. Hey, why do you find it so hard to get down on your knees and pray? You're going through a drought. It doesn't matter. Even in a year of drought, don't be anxious. Don't be concerned. Have your confident expectation not in yourself. Because if you lean on the arm of flesh, it'll surely fail you. Don't be confident in your own abilities. Rely on Him. Lean on Him. Even in a season of drought, even when you know that you're not where you be, you're not, you're not where you ought to be in Jesus Christ. Don't panic. Don't become concerned. Don't become worried turn to him look to him draw closer to him the thing that the enemy wants you to do during a season of drought is to move as far away from god as possible so what does he do he sows salt of doubt and condemnation you feel unworthy you feel like you need to withdraw you feel like 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 adam and eve in the garden of eden you feel like you want to hide away jesus mustn't find you god mustn't find you no you should be doing the opposite. You should be running at, at full tilt, high speed, directly to Jesus. Don't go away from him. Go towards him in your season of drought. That's for someone here this morning. If you don't feel that you're exactly where you need to be, where you should be, you know the call of God over your life. Don't run away from him. Run smash bang into him. Run to your place of safety. You know, the, en- the enemy is so cunning. He wants you to run away from salvation. He wants you to run away from your shelter. He wants you to run away from your strong tower. Because he knows there you'll find what? Rest, protection, covering, provision, sustenance. Don't fall for it. Amen. Run to him. Don't run away from him. The last line there. So even in a year of drought, even in a season of drought. It won't be anxious or concerned. Nor will it stop bearing fruit. Nor will it stop bearing fruit. God wants to use you. Even in your moment, even in your season of drought, you can be fruitful. You can produce much fruit. You can produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Don't allow the enemy to tell you that you can't be used. Run to Jesus. Amen.